abortion has become a second or third opportunity down the road for birth control. And that's not what God ever intended. He created us in His image. You've got to answer the most important question of all. Is that a person in the womb? For the love of life. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. As followers of Christ, we are called to love all of God's creation. Implicit in this command is to love life in the womb. Today and Friday, we'll look at where God's Word gives this imperative and how we can carry out this call in a loving way. David calls this message, Love Life. Hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you to Sean Sindler and John Casey, two of my fellow pastors in ministry with me at Moments of Hope Church. We're sharing their stories of adoption and also fostering. Uh, We are all about life in this church, and we believe we should give hope to people looking for life in this world. Uh, That's one of the reasons we call our church Moments of Hope Church. We believe that we are called, each one of us, to give moments of hope to people in need. Well, today I want to move from the fostering and adoption scenarios to life in the womb. Uh, It's a very difficult message to give. And I recognize that when I give it, uh, there's going to be a number of people out there who are being affected one way or another by this message. Um, I recognize that one out of three to four women in our culture uh, have had abortions. I recognize with those women there are family members and friends who love them and are affected by it as well. So I hope you know that as I preach this message uh, to women who have gone through this experience, Uh, And also to the men who counseled the women, especially to have the abortions, I want to extend to you from the beginning the enormous, merciful grace of God through Jesus Christ. There is no sin beyond His loving nature. Uh, Abortions included within all the things that Jesus died for. In fact, I would say that abortion is not the chief of sins. The chief of sins is pride. And pride, the continued rejection of Jesus' merciful gift of eternal life through the cross of Calvary, uh, is what keeps us from receiving that. And that is the one sin that cannot be forgiven because it's what sends us to hell. But sins of the flesh, uh, sins of passion, uh, abortion included within that are forgivable sins. And Jesus loves you deeply and can envelop you within his grace and give you the mercy that you need in order to begin anew to have hope in your life again, and to have healing like you've never known it before for all those wounds and scars in your heart, especially that may have been caused by your choice to abort your child. So let me move into the message by saying very clearly and from up front that the world today needs Christians who are courageous. The world needs people who love Jesus who will stand for truth. Um, I have been a pastor for over 40 years, and I've also been a pastor of a church that felt like the most important thing in the world was just to get people in the seats and save them. Now, eternal life is the most important thing. Whether you go to heaven or hell is the most important decision you'll ever make. But I've come to realize that unless the church disciples those people who come to faith in Him and who learn how to be courageous disciples, our culture will continue to slide down into a moral abyss. We've got to teach people how to stand for truth. And I know that the whole idea of saving people is important, but interestingly, the church in Nazi Germany in 1933 and 34, when Adolf Hitler came to power and began his extermination of the Jews and other people who were not deemed important to human life, 
Um, the church remained silent. And when the church was asked, why aren't you standing against Hitler, the answer that was given too often by the church in Germany was, well, our job is to save people's souls. we got to get people into the kingdom. And if we address all of these things that Adolf Hitler is doing, people won't come into the church and they won't get saved. Well, dear friends, in 1939, the church was basically shut down. Christians who stood against Hitler were ultimately killed, and we saw where that went. The church must be courageous in the early stages of infidelity. We must be courageous to speak. And Jesus was the one who said to us, if you want to follow me, count the cost. Someone who is building a building counts the cost to build the building before he actually builds the building and then is able to make the decision whether he wants to do it or not. A person going to war needs to look at the army out there it's going to be fighting against and make the decision whether you're going into war or not. Well, you need to decide now whether you really want to follow Jesus. If you have been born again and His Spirit lives within you, take the next step. And that next step is becoming a disciple, a courageous disciple who not only knows Jesus, is growing in Jesus, but goes into the world to speak boldly His truth. I am one of those disciples this day. Moments of Hope Church will be a church that not only preaches the gospel and how you can go to heaven, but we will call you to courageously speak up wherever you need to for the truth of Jesus, particularly in His Word. In 1976, I was called into gospel ministry, and I went through seminary, and when I was ordained in 1980, I became a minister of the Word of God. So my purpose today, and I'm going to hand the baton off in just a little bit to my friend Justin Reeder, who will give some application on how Moments of Hope Church can live courageously in this area of abortion. Uh, the Word of God is what I need to preach every week. And so I really don't care what culture believes. I really don't care what the world believes. I care what Christ believes. I care what His Word believes. So I want to give you very briefly today a biblical oversight of why I am pro-life why I think abortion is wrong from God's Word. And I hope that, honestly, dear friends, that it might convict your hearts, but it will also bring you soothing grace. My daddy used to say all the time as a preacher, the purpose of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I believe that's true even today. So here is what God's Word has to say about the whole idea of life. We need to begin in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 and 27. Here is the word of the Lord. Uh, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God is the creator, and his image is stamped on our lives. What is that image? It means we are rational human beings who can think. It means we are linguistic human beings who can speak. We are aesthetic human beings who know beauty. We are moral human beings who have the moral law of God written on our hearts and our consciences. And we are spiritual human beings. We are different than the animal kingdom in all these areas, but especially in the spiritual area where we can worship God. We can sing praises to God. We can acknowledge the existence of God where the animal kingdom cannot. So we're created in the image of God, especially in His image. Well, when does that begin? Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah says that he was called to be a prophet of God even before the world was created. So that call of God for Jeremiah to be a prophet began in the expanses of eternity before this world was ever created, before he was ever created. Paul says the same thing about his life and call in Galatians 1.15. 
In Ephesians 1.4, it says that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the earth. So don't you see that we are known by name, chosen by God, loved by God before this world was ever created. He knew us as human beings before the world was ever created. Then the verses that John read in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, that in the womb he carefully formed us. We are wondrously made by our Creator. He knit us together in the womb. And surely that began at the moment of conception, for there could be no knitting together until that conception occurs. So personhood and life begins, obviously, in God's Word from the beginning of conception. Dear friends, that is the key question that every one of us has to wrestle with. In the womb is that a person created in the image of God. It is, a, is it a human being that God created and placed in that womb by his sovereign choice and plan? And does every child who is placed in a womb have a calling from God upon their lives? The Bible seems to say yes. Another powerful place to look at the whole idea of life in the womb is in Luke, the first chapter, when Mary visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist in her womb. Mary has had the supernatural empowering of Jesus being placed in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that when Mary walked into the room, verse 44 in Luke 1, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, interestingly, first of all, that word baby is barapos in the Greek. Uh, it means a child. So keep that in mind as we keep looking at some other scriptures. But also understand that that baby leaped for joy. How in the world can a mere zygote or a few cells in a womb leap for joy? That's a child. That's a child who has feelings and emotions. And we'll look in just a moment at science, and science suggests that babies can feel the emotions we feel, and the Bible concurs with that because this baby, John the Baptist, leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb. We see that clearly in the text. And then we have in Luke, the second chapter, when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus to be circumcised on the sixth day, the Scripture tells us that, behold, this child is appointed for the full rising of many in Israel, the words of Simeon in a prophecy, this child that he's praying over, this child, what's the word? Berepos. It's the same word as the baby in the womb that's used for John the Baptist, it's the same word for Jesus as he's presented outside the womb six days into his life on this earth. Also in Luke, the 18th chapter, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Guess what word is used there? Barapas. It's the same word for the baby in the womb, the baby six days outside the womb, the children later on who are probably between the ages of one to 12, let the little children, let the Barapos come to me. Jesus was very clear that children is a term used for in the womb, outside the womb, and a little bit older as they grow up. We also see in the Bible that God pronounces his judgment against Ammon and Syria, two godless nations that bordered Israel in war against Israel. They would oftentimes take Israelite women and rip open their wombs to take out the babies inside. They're called children 
in the womb. And God pronounces his judgment against Ammon and Syria because of the destruction of the babies in the womb. Uh, In Canaanite culture, where Israel went into that culture, the Canaanites constantly offered their babies to the god Molech, and they would place their babies inside his stomach that was on fire to burn them. It was a fertility rite trying to bring blessings from Molech to them. They sacrificed their children accordingly, and God called that an abomination. And he told the Israelites, do not act like the Canaanite culture does with the god Molech. Again, it's an abomination to God. Well, in the early church, a lot of people say, well, the early church didn't really address in the scriptures the whole idea of abortion. I would counter that argument in two ways. I would first draw your attention to the didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. It was in the early church's formation from 85 to 110 A.D. So you have this written during the lifetime of the apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John that we're presently studying verse by verse. And in the Didache, there are these words, Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them after they're born. A clear directive to the church in the Roman culture, which regularly practiced abortion and infanticide, in the Didache, a book of instruction, the word Didache means teaching, a book that taught early Christians how to live point by point by point. Some think the Apostle John himself may have been one of the authors of the Didache. There's a clear instruction not to commit abortion. There's also the letter of Barnabas, which was circa 130 A.D., another catechetical work to try to help the early church know how to live in the midst of a godless pagan Roman culture. There are these words. Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor kill after born. It's almost word for word what the Didache said as well. But the clear instruction of early church patriarchal fathers, those who gave wisdom and life and oversight to the early church, abortion should not be done, nor should there ever be infanticide. In fact, another thing that the church spoke out a lot about in the early church years was gendercide. A lot of babies were thrown away on the garbage heap if they were born to be little girls. Boys were valued, girls were not. And it was the early Christians who would go take these little girls off the garbage heaps and adopt them into their own homes. Really, that's the foundation of orphanages as well, as these babies were taken into multiple homes and formed to be places where they would be able to grow up and be adopted by the early Christian church. That, again, is the foundation of adoption. So gender side is spoken against, and you might think, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard about. In China today and in other places throughout the world, and actually many come to America to do this, they do selective gendering. They look inside the womb with sonograms, and they decide, oh, that's a girl. I don't want to girl, and they have the girl aborted in order to have boys. And I just want to ask the question, where are the feminists on that one? Little girls are being killed around the world because they're little girls, and the anger against that is never expressed by women who find abortion to be uh, acceptable. Since 1973, with Roe versus Wade, America now has experienced over the last 50 almost years 63 million abortions. Um, We see that, though, the pushback against that has not abated. And why is that? I would offer to you several different reasons. First of all, I think there's an inward malaise in the hearts of a lot of women and men as well who just know 
that the most sacred place in the world ought to be the womb of a mother, and it's not to be invaded. So a lot of people, even those who aren't religious, ask the question, is this right for 63 million of our potential American citizens to be aborted? Uh, Secondly, because of the advent of sonograms. Uh, Sonograms allow us to look now in the womb and see children developing at the earliest possible moments. And in those earliest moments, we see via science and sonograms that in the earliest days, we have fingernails forming. We have, at the moment of conception, the color of our hair is determined for the rest of our lives, as is all the other places of our genetic coding. It all starts at the moment of conception. And to say that that's just a blob, like there was a New York Times article this past week where a woman actually said that what is in the womb is a blueberry, one-quarter inch blueberry. And folks, if that's true, if that's just a one-quarter inch blueberry, it should be extracted with anyone's desires or wishes. But the truth is, life begins at the moment of conception, and at that moment, we're in the process of becoming everybody that we are. Every one of us begins at that moment of conception. Our genetic everything is determined at that moment. When Marilyn and I go to the beach, we love to Look at the places where the sea turtles are hatching their eggs. And it's interesting, they have red fences all around them and a little pathway all the way to the ocean. You can't break that pathway, cross that red ribbon, unless you want to be fined a lot of money. Why? Because scientists, people who care about the environment and care about sea turtles realize those eggs are life. And you can't destroy those eggs because if you're destroying those eggs, you're destroying sea turtles. How in the world can we say that about sea turtles but not say that about human life? We have an American culture whose two gods are comfort and pleasure. And because of that, we must have something that allows us to continue down those roads of comfort and pleasure. And indeed, for many, sadly, abortion has become a second or third opportunity down the road for birth control. And that's not what God ever intended. This child, male and female, he created us in his image. That is a human life. You've got to answer the most important question of all. Is that a person in the womb? Is that a human being who deserves to live? You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about this morning's moment of hope. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us. Hello, Jen. It's great to be with you as well. Well, David, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you challenged each of us to pray Psalm 112, especially verses 1 and 2. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, this is a prayer we regularly prayed for our kids, uh, and it basically is a prayer that claims your kids to be mighty in the land. And I think that's really important for parents to do, Jen. It's not that they be successful and wealthy. It means they are influencers for the Lord in the land, wherever they may be planted by the Lord, and that's up to him. Fortunately, all three of our children live fairly close to us right now, but it's been fun to watch watch them succeed in their own way. And the prayer for your kids to be mighty in the land, I think, is a great prayer. Mm -hmm. It's something that parents should pray. And when they do so, they're saying, God, you've given each one of these children unique and special gifts. Please don't let them bury their talent. Don't let them ever hear from you, oh, you wicked, slothful, lazy servant. Let them use the talents you've given them to grow them, be more expansive, more influential for your glory. And I just think, Jen, that's a great prayer, again, mm-hmm. for pra- parents to pray for their kids. Lord, make my kids mighty in the land. It's what Psalm 112 verses 2 and 3 claims that we can claim for our kids. I love that so much. And I've had the honor of meeting each of your children and have a special friendship with your daughter. And I can attest, she is living this out. She is fulfilling this prayer that you guys have prayed for years and years for her. Yeah. You know, it's just saying, Lord, you create each child unique. You give them special gifts. You know what those gifts are. Expose them to our children and then let them work hard because they're is a hard work element that Mm -hmm. is here to expand, grow, and use their gifts for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God. And again, I just want to tell parents that's not a bad prayer. It's not self-aggrandizing. It's not prideful. It doesn't have a competitive edge to Mm -hmm. it. It's just saying, Lord, he or she is your child. You created this child, but you didn't create them to go live in a corner and bury their talent again. Mm -hmm. You want them to be mighty in the land. You want them to influence for you. And so when you pray that prayer for your kids, I think your kids not only experience the Holy Spirit's promptings in their hearts because of your prayers, but are also encouraged themselves to take their gifts, use their gifts for the glory of God and the advancement of the Mm -hmm. kingdom of God. It reminds me of a parable. You don't put a basket over a light. And so we want our children to shine for the glory of God and to expand his kingdom. Yeah. And is there a difficult line there where a parent could cross over and say, I'm going to live vicariously through my kid that as they succeed, I succeed? Sure. But then examine your heart. Second Corinthians 13, 5. Let God show you if that is a motivation within you. You can correct that. I one time had to go to my kid who was a good basketball player. I played basketball and I started living a little bit through him. And I said, 
said, I'm sorry. Shouldn't be doing that. I'm your dad, not your coach. And he heard that and said, well, thank you, dad. And it allowed us even to grow closer Mm. together. But Mm. to pray, hey, God, I want my kids to be mighty in the land is a good prayer parents can pray. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen. And everyone, if you'd like to receive a written daily moment of hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there and you can receive from my heart to yours a daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for revival in America.